Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Toast and Topics. We hope that we have a few more people tuning into this episode because we are now available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple Music, Spotify, Overcast, and more. You guys have been asking for this for a long time, and we listened. So thank you again for your suggestions, and please keep this type of feedback coming. It really is helpful. Agreed. So pivoting to our topic this week, we wanted to spend more time looking at the war in Ukraine. In particular, we wanted to examine Ukraine's recent counteroffensive against Russian forces in southern Ukraine, the toll that the war has taken on the region, the challenges of securing Western support, and the longer-term steps for Ukraine to emerge from this challenging period. Yeah, as of today, we are entering day 585 since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war, and it seems like not a day goes by without hearing about new pockets of conflict in the region. So, Ben, could you give us a bit of a background on how the conflict began and how it's been going? Yeah, of course. So Ukraine and Russia, to take a step back, are similar and different all at once. The Russian nation is often credited with being founded by explorers sailing along rivers like the Dnieper and Volga in Ukraine and Russia. Uh, in fact, one of the first prototypically Russian states was even called the Kievan Rus because the capital was in what is now Kiev, Ukraine. Ukraine and Russia are, of course, distinct with separate languages, geographies, and customs, but they have been politically united with one another for many portions of their history. Ukraine was a part of both the Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. And it's those former linkages that are a source of many of the present tensions between the two countries. Ukraine gained its independence from its larger Russian neighbor after the fall of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. And this newly independent Ukraine received many territories that had large ethnic Russian populations, particularly in the eastern portion of the country. And as Russia began to recover from the disorder following the collapse of the Soviet Union, its leaders began to desire both the reincorporation of those territories into Russia, as well as more generally bringing Ukraine back into the Russian fold, the Ruski Mir, as many in Russia call it, which is a term for the Russian political and cultural world. At the same time, however, Ukraine began to move further and further away from Russia. In 2014, Ukraine had a revolution that ousted the pro-Russian president Yanukovych, and fearing that Ukraine might be permanently estranged from Russia, Russia sent paramilitaries to seize the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine, as well as to occupy portions of Ukraine's eastern territories. And since then, a low-level war has been fought in that region, really until 2021, when it seems that Russia's president, Vladimir Putin, made a decision to fully subdue Ukraine. Over the spring of 2021, Russia performed really massive military drills on Ukraine's border. And by the fall of 2021, U.S. intelligence services were predicting that Russia would invade the country. Uh, and so it was that on February 24th, 2022, Russian airstrikes began hitting targets throughout Ukraine, and columns of Russian armor began to plunge into Ukrainian territory from all directions. Yeah, that's a really helpful summary. And I think that most people thought that Ukraine would surrender in days, yet something truly rem remarkable occurred. Um, 
both as a function of the strength and will of Ukrainian troops, as well as support from Western allies, Russia's main push towards Ukraine's capital was repulsed and Russian troops were left in a bit of disarray. Exactly. And now the Ukrainians have launched a set of successful counteroffensives. Um, for example, over the summer of 2022, they launched offensives in the east that resulted in Russia being ousted from strategic locations in the east and south of the country. But in the years since, the war has been somewhat of a stalemate. Russian efforts to conquer U Ukrainian territory in the east have proven largely unsuccessful. And at the same time, Ukraine has not ousted Russia from all the territories that country occupied. It really has now become a grinding war of attrition. And now these counteroffensives that Ukraine has been pushing uh, against Russia, has that done anything to meaningfully break this deadlock? Yeah, the counteroffensives over the summer of 2023, so what we've seen over the past few months, have worn down Russian forces and gradually reclaimed territory. As NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg has said, Ukrainian forces are gradually gaining ground in the counteroffensive, but the key word here is gradual. The fundamentals of the counteroffensive have meant that it's going to be slow going. Ukraine is facing entrenched Russian forces with very heavy minefields, artillery, and Russian attack helicopters and drones. When Ukrainian tanks break through Russian lines, they often cannot advance far because their room for maneuver is so restricted by minefields. Ukraine's territorial gains have been meager as a result. So at this point, most analysts are not talking about Ukraine making a critical breakthrough on Russian lines over the course of this year. Instead, they hope that the damage Ukraine might inflict on Russia now could allow Ukraine to be better positioned to defeat Russia next year. But it's going to be an uphill battle. Almost a fifth of Ukrainian territory still remains in Russia's hands. Interesting. And so with limited progress on the battlefield and neither country appearing especially willing to come to the negotiating table, I think it's also interesting to think about what might need to happen in order for the war to end, as well as the economic, social, and political costs of the war thus far. Um, I thought that there were some really fascinating points made in some of the articles that we read on this. For example, the total military casualties in the war now stand at about 500,000. Um, and the risks of living in war has led to an exodus of people leaving the country, with over 7 million Ukrainians having fled thus far, which is almost 20% of the pre-war population. To add to this, there's been a large social imbalance of people leaving as well. More than two-thirds of those who have left the country are women, since many men of fighting age are not permitted to leave the country. Um, and this has led to a tick-up in divorce rates, as well as a widening of the income gap between those who left and those who stayed. As a result of all this, Ukraine's working age population has also shrunk from nearly 17 million in 2021 to below 12 million now. And of course, this comes with some serious economic consequences. Still, though, Ukraine's economic resilience has impressed the entire world. Um, you know, inflation has been kept under control at about 11% uh, last year, and GDP will grow slightly uh, in the upcoming year uh, between 1% to 2%. Yeah. 
Russia has also been battered by the conflict. For one, Western sanctions against Russia have resulted in hundreds of billions of dollars worth of Russian assets being frozen abroad. And measures by Western countries, such as a price cap for Russian oil and restrictions on the flow of high-tech goods like semiconductors going into Russia, have also taken a toll on its economy and stand poised to really mar Russia's long-term economic growth trajectory. And just as important is the brain drain that Russia has faced as a result of the conflict. There are many young Russians who don't want to be sent to the front lines to fight against Ukraine. The Economist estimates that some 1 million Russians have left Russia since the start of the war. And these people are often young, they're often the most educated and productive, and as a result of that, their loss is especially hard for Russia to deal with. Uh, and then the final key point to note here and how Russia has dealt with the war is that the political situation in Russia appears far more unstable now than it did at the start of the conflict. At the beginning of the summer, for example, a coup launched by Russian mercenary leader Yevgeny Prigozhin uh, appeared to threaten to topple the entire Putin regime. And while Prigozhin has since been killed and his Wagner mercenary group has been brought into line, the coup highlights the damage that the war has done to the stability of the Putin regime. At this point, it seems that Russia has been palpably weakened, and regime change could bring about the conditions for Russia to come to the negotiating table and end the war. Um, these costs have led Ukraine to seek support from allies. Of course, Ukraine has dealt with many military losses over the past year, and it's been difficult for them to replenish their stocks of ammunition and equipment on their own. Um, for example, just over a week ago, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky was in the United States trying to secure continued backing from Washington. Ukraine enjoys broad bipartisan support in Congress, but there has been a growing faction of right-wing lawmakers who have demanded an end to American funding for Ukraine, which has been a point of contention in the recent negotiations around the congressional budget that almost led to the government shutting down. Uh, part of the reason for this is that there is a reluctance to fund a potentially never-ending war of attrition. Yeah, and on that note, it's it's worth discussing how much aid Ukraine has received from foreign governments. Um, so around 70% of the Ukrainian defense budget is covered by international assistance. And in all, some 39 countries have given or pledged some form of aid, which is total about $250 billion. Um, the Biden administration has committed about $43 billion to Ukraine's defense since February of 2022. And that's about 5% of the U.S. defense budget for fiscal year 2024, which is pretty staggering. That said, many G20 countries, for example, India, have had qualms about supporting Ukraine, partly because they don't want to fully alienate Russia and China, both of which can be strategic allies. And so that all has meant that the US and EU have had to play a far more outsized role in contributing to Ukraine's funding on a relative basis. All of this funding, even though it isn't an especially large share of the US military budget, for example, 
has meant that support for Ukraine has been tenuous, as already discussed. And uh, I think it's important here to just dig into what American public opinion is saying on this issue. Um, A recent CBS poll showed a decline in Republican support for sending aid and supplies to Ukraine from 57% to 50%. Uh, And on the whole, Europeans remain supportive of Ukraine, but there too, enthusiasm has seemed to diminish. The share of Europeans who totally agree with financing the purchase and supply of military equipment to Ukraine is down by 17 points. Nonetheless, though, Ukraine is strong backing by many segments of the American public and also the American policy community. Um, I think it's unlikely that there's going to be a fundamental shift in the aid going to that country over the next year, though maybe what happens in November of 2024 might change that. So let's conclude this conversation by talking about what Ukraine needs to do in order to find the most optimal position in a far from optimal environment. I think that most Ukrainians know that there is no end in sight, uh, at least in the near future, for this war. Um, A year ago, about 50% of Ukrainians thought that the war would be over within a year, and now only 34% believe that. So, you know, what do you think are the main pillars that the country should be focused on, Ben? There are many things that Ukraine will need to focus on in order to fully recover from this conflict. But at the end of the day, I think that the most fundamental thing uh, that needs to happen for Ukraine to emerge from this dark time is that the war must end. But the path toward that right now seems narrow. Ukraine's GDP is about $200 billion. The country is known for exporting iron ore, wheat, and corn. And these goods are hardly the staples of a 21st century military power. In other words, Ukraine doesn't have the capacity on its own to manufacture the drones, the missiles, the tanks, the jets, and the ammunition it needs to win this war against Russia. Because of that, Ukraine's fortunes are going to hinge on the level of support that its Western allies provide to it. And that's where I worry. At this point, there's a risk that Ukraine enters a kind of purgatory. I have little doubt that America and its allies will provide Ukraine with enough support for it to prevent Russia from taking over the country entirely. But the opposition to aid for Ukraine and some rightful concerns about provoking Russia have also meant that Ukraine will probably not receive the equipment it needs to oust Russia from the territories Russia has occupied and to ultimately win the war. So tragically, I think that we should expect more grinding conflict until either Ukraine or Russia taps out. And I don't know whether Ukraine will keep all of its territory when that resolution comes. All that I know is that there's a painful road ahead until either one side or the other decides that the fighting has to stop. Well said, Ben. Um, Look, I'm really glad that we could check in on this topic, given all that's been happening. Um, Of course, the situation remains highly dynamic, so I'm sure that we will check in on this again at some point. Uh, But I think that's a great place to conclude for now. So thanks for having this conversation. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, Sachin. And thank you to our audience members for tuning in this week. We'll see you all again next time when we will come back to the homeland and talk about the recent 
United Auto Workers Strike in Detroit and what it means for the future of America's car makers and unions. Thanks for listening to Toast and Topics. We're now available on all podcasting platforms, including both Spotify and Apple Music. So there's no excuse for missing an episode now. Please rate and share us on the platform of your choice and follow us on Instagram at Toast and Topics to never miss a beat. See you again soon, everyone.